it, it really is good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. I, um, it's always good to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and spend some time worshiping. And uh, I don't even know if we're going to get through the full message today. It's one of those messages when I started it, I couldn't stop. I didn't know where to stop because I realized that at some level it touches nearly everyone in the room, everyone I know. And, uh, you know, I want to I solve everybody's problems. You know, I want the Lord to use me to solve everybody's problems. And somehow I think I can do it in one sermon. You guys may or may not have ever felt like that, but that's the way I feel about it sometimes. I know that's not going to happen, but I, today I want to talk about peace. Peace. Anybody want a little peace in your life? Imagine most of us do. Most of us, or many of us are facing some really difficult times right now, and um, we've got some, we've come to difficult parts in our life's journey, and um, we're not sure what to do. We're not sure who to trust. We're not even sure how to feel sometimes. But I, I want you to know today that part of your inheritance in Christ is peace. That's an important part of your inheritance. And it's his peace that we can appropriate and enjoy in this life with all of its trouble and sorrows and hurts and anxieties, we can have peace in this life. It's our inheritance from Christ. Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples in John 14, 27, he said this, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Is that your reality? <laughs> Sometimes it's not my reality, I'll be perfectly frank. Sometimes I'm not enjoying the peace that's my inheritance in Christ. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I feel myself struggling with worry and anxiety, losing sleep over things I don't have any control of anyway. Anybody with me? It seems like many of us who, who follow Christ and, and we count ourselves to be among his disciples, many of us struggle to live in this peace that we've been promised. And it is promised to us. Christ's peace is promised to us as the followers of God, and, but that peace seems so hard to find. It seems so hard to, to, to obtain. So instead of living in a state of peace, you and I and other followers of Christ often live in a state of anxiety and turmoil. Let's get honest. I mean, we have a hard time going to sleep at night because we've got questions just rumbling through our minds. Struggles and problems just capturing our heart and not letting, our, not letting us ever seem to have rest and peace, a good night's sleep. I have come, the older I get, to appreciate a good night's sleep. I've got a little problem right now, a little black palm that wakes me up at 3.30 in the morning, and I'm about to get rid of that little black numpkin. <laughs> Don't you wish you could get rid of your problems as, as easily as I could get rid of that black palm if I wanted to? But it doesn't work that way, does it? Some problems just won't go away. I mean, we, 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 we try to go to bed at night, and our minds are rambling. We're asking ourselves questions like, how am I going to get my bills paid this month? How am I going to keep my family safe? 
How am I ever going to get this relationship back? What happens if this business deal doesn't go through? What happens if I make a wrong, wrong choice about this big decision I'm facing? What happens if I disappoint God again? I mean, we'll toss and turn, asking ourselves questions all night long, unable to get any physical rest, much less spiritual and emotional rest. Listen, I believe with all my heart, God intends his children to live in peace, not anxiety and turmoil. That's our inheritance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We've got to start there. <laughs> You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that's part of what Christ intends for you, to live in peace, not in anxiety and turmoil. I believe with all my heart it's clearly the plan of God for us to live in his peace no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what part of life we're in, God wants us to live in his peace. Colossians 3.15, we've been journeying through the book of Colossians. My intention was to pick up the pace and go a little bit faster, but then I got to Colossians 3.15, and man, I tell you, I, 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 I can't do it. I, I, we're going to have to stop and look at one verse today. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Read that verse with me. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. You're called to peace. You're called to peace. And be thankful. Now I want you to personalize it. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Come on. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Since as members of one body, I am called to peace and be thankful. Now, I want to use this verse today, this one little verse, and let it serve as a launching pad to talk about the peace of Christ. We all want it, right? It's ours to have, right? Well, let's talk about it and let's figure out how we can live in it. Because that's the, that's the rub, isn't it? We want to live in it. Not just talk about it. Not just know we're supposed to have it, we want to have it in reality, in our reality, don't we? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for this peace that you have given us. Peace so unexplainable. I can hardly think. peace that passes all understanding. A peace this world didn't give to us and this world can't take it away. The peace of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Father, help us to live in that peace. In a world gone crazy, in a world of chaos and turmoil, in a world that wants us to be burdened down by problems and issues that we can't control, God, help us to find and enjoy the peace that you've promised us. It's our heart's desire. Everyone in this room is on a quest for peace. You are our peace. You, Jesus. You are our peace. 
You are the Prince of Peace. And we ask You today to establish Your throne in our hearts. And let Your peace rule over us. Let Your peace control our emotions. Let Your peace control our thought life. Let Your peace control our behaviors and our attitudes. Rule over us, Prince of Peace, with the peace that only You can give. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. What is it? What is it? What is the peace of Christ? And, 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 and what does that peace of Christ mean to our lives? I, I want to talk about it briefly today, and we're only going to skim the highlights of it. There's so much to say. And I would tell you, I think from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, that's ex it's all about peace. It's all about salvation. Is about peace. It's about being at peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with everybody else. That's what it's all about. So there's no way in one, let's hopefully say 30-minute sermon, doesn't go into 40 minutes, I can talk about all the Bible has to say about this subject. So you're going to have to do some study on your own. But I want to throw out some of the highlights to you today. Something that maybe some of you can latch on to and say, that's from me. And I can take this and I can use it to find the peace that's rightfully mine in Christ Jesus. Two important definitions as we get started talking about the peace of Christ today. I think we have to take care of these definitions before we go any further into the message. The first definition I want you to think about is the Greek word irene, which we translate as peace. That word is a common word. It, it was used frequently throughout uh, uh, the, uh, the New Testament and, and throughout the culture of the day, uh, that word was a common word used to describe a state of quietness, a state of being at rest. It was used to describe tranquility. And here's a word we really understand, serenity. If you're in the recovery community, this word, Irene, can be translated not just peace, but serenity. And I know all y'all are looking for serenity. Because we pray that prayer every week hoping for it, don't we? All right. If you're looking for serenity, here it is. Serenity can't be found in a pill. We know that, don't we? Serenity will not be found. Peace will not be found at the bottom of a bottle. It won't be found in what you smoke. It won't be found in who you hang out with. It won't be found in having an a promiscuous lifestyle of, of, of uh, you know, sexual lifestyle is not going to be found through a, uh, some kind of psychosocial construct that changes the way I'm so tired of... <sighs> we think in this, in this culture that we're in, we're so materialistic, we think that there's just one little thing, if we can just tweak it, we're all fixed. Man, we're, so, we're way more complex than that. We are made in the image of God, and there's a spiritual side of us that has to be fixed. And from that spiritual side, once that spiritual side is fixed, it's a process then of growth and change and transformation. There is no magic pill that's going to fix you. I, I wish I had one. I'd be rich. I'd never have to work another day in my life if I had a little bottle here, I could, you know, little pills I could dish out. This is truth today that if you will latch onto it, it will change your life. But you've got to latch onto it and you've got to walk it out. I can't even walk it out for you. 
There's no amount of counseling that's going to get you through it if you're not willing to accept this truth and put it into practice yourself. Does that make sense? That's why this message may go on for more than 30 minutes, but I'll try. The peace that Paul is writing about here is a particular kind of peace called the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. It's a peace that comes from Christ. It's a peace that comes from only Christ. This is not a peace that you can get anywhere else. The only kind of peace he's talking about here is the peace of Christ. It's this peace that's unexplainable. It's this peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace of Christ is the peace that will transform your life if you'll wrap your brain around it and put it into practice and walk it out. The second word that I want to bring to your attention is the word that we've translated as rule. Brabuo. And John's laughing at me right now because that's probably an inappropriate trans, uh, pronunciation. Was it okay? All right. Brabuo. Say that with me. Brabuo. It means to rule. It can be translated. But it also means to umpire. And that may be a little more common understanding because we, we've all been to baseball games and we've all seen football games. We understand what an umpire does. It's, it, this word, brabuo, is a word that can be translated umpire. We know that the umpire is in a game in order to, con to make sure that everyone's following the rules. He controls the flow of the game. If there's a dispute, it's the umpire that decides which call to make He's controlling the game. See, that's, and, and, and so I want to put these two words together. This idea of serenity or peace and this idea of an umpire. Let's bring these two words together to illustrate how the peace of Christ ought to rule in our hearts. Follow me, if you will. It's a lot like a baseball game. It's a lot like a baseball game. The umpire stands behind the catcher dressed in that black suit, right? Little mask on. It's the umpire calling the balls and strikes. He's the one that makes the final decisions about what will be done. He's going to make the final decisions about which runner is out, which runner is safe. The umpire is the one making the calls, right? Right? Does everybody like the calls that are made? <laughs> you see, it doesn't matter to the umpire. It doesn't matter to the umpire. He's in control of the game. No matter what anyone else says or does, that umpire remains completely unruffled by any of it. Batters are going to argue the calls right? Managers are going to cuss at him from the dugout. The crowd is going to be yelling names at him and probably throwing popcorn at him, but what does the umpire do? He just keeps calling the game. He doesn't let any of the circumstances around him cause him to lose his emotional equilibrium. He just keeps calling the game. You see, in the face of all that chaos, in the face of all that conflict, a good umpire remains calm and cool and collected. He keeps control of himself, even if everybody else has lost control of themselves. He just keeps calling the game, making the right calls. See, that's the idea here. That's the idea. When Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart, he's saying, let the peace of Christ umpire your emotional well-being. Let the peace of Christ umpire your emotions. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart like an umpire calls that game of baseball. Don't let your emotions cloud your judgment. Let the peace of Christ umpire your judgment. 
Don't allow the pressure of the moment force you into making a rash decision. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let him call the game. Does that make sense? Okay. Don't let the fear and the foolishness of other people make you act foolishly too. You let the umpire, the peace of Christ, call the game. It's really about surrendering your all to his all, right? Let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Now, that's an easy way of looking at it. Sometimes it's harder to put it into practice, but I want to go on and talk about this peace of Christ and how it impacts all of your life if you get hold of it, if you understand how to implement it, if you can get hold of how the peace of Christ should rule your heart, if you understand what Christ is trying to do in your heart and life, it will keep you from riding this roller coaster that so many of us are on or being caught uh, emotionally uh, unaware by some of the circumstances and problems that come our way. The peace of Christ impacts all of our life. I, 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 want, I want to stop and I want, I want you to say this with me. I am called to live in the peace of Christ. Say it with me. I am called to live in the peace of Christ. I am called in the peace of Christ. If we are called to live in the peace with, and we're, we're called to, and I want to talk about three primary areas. I don't know if I'm going to get to the third or not. That'll depend on what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But I, there are three areas I want to talk to you today about. We are called to live in peace with God. We are called to live in peace with our circumstances. And we are called to live in peace with other people. Those are at least three areas of life that will be impacted by the peace of Christ if we get hold of it and let it umpire us and umpire our emotional state. If we will let the peace of Christ uh, guard our hearts, if we will let the peace of Christ direct our thoughts and our actions, it will impact at least these three areas of life. We'll have peace with God, peace with our circumstances, and peace with other people. First of all, let's talk about this, uh, how this peace of Christ affects our relationship with God, because after all, that's the most important peace, right? If you don't have peace with God, you're not going to have peace anywhere else either. If you want peace, the peace of Christ, you're going to have to have peace with God first. And that's exactly what the peace of Christ offers us. If our relationship with God is messed up, then everything in our lives is going to be messed up. Right? To know the peace of Christ in our relationship with God, we need to understand the gospel. And I think that in many of our cases, this is where we fail to appreciate what Christ has done for us and giving us peace with God. We don't have an understanding, a real understanding of the gospel and its power and its implications for our life. Look, we've got to understand the gospel. And the gospel essentially is this. The gospel says that you and I were created by God to be in a loving relationship with God. But instead, we chose to rebel against God. We wanted to do things our way. And Colossians 1.21 tells us the result of it is this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, we don't like to think about it that way. We don't like to think of ourselves as being enemies of God, but let's get honest. How many of you looking back before, if you've accepted Christ, before you accepted Christ, how many of you would honestly admit, man, 
I was God's enemy. I fought him every step of the way. I was in constant rebellion against him. I, anybody? Because this is where it begins. Recognizing how deeply in rebellion you were against God. The gospel begins by recognizing how deep your sin was. How deep your rebellion was. See, our rebellion against God deserved God's judgment and condemnation. None of us deserves heaven. We all deserve hell, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loved us. God loved us. And he wanted to restore our relationship to him. So John 3.16 says that God gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God wants us back in relationship. God wants the war to end. He wants us to be back in relationship with Him. And the Bible says that everyone who repents of their sin and everyone who trusts in Christ as Savior is forgiven and set free from sin's penalty. You see, once we surrender to Christ and once our rebellion ends, the war's over. The war with God is over. Is he okay, Robert? Are you okay? okay, Bob? See, it's in Christ we're justified. That's a big word, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but what that word basically means is once we, put our, once we surrender, once we recognize that we're in rebellion against God, and once we put our trust in Christ, and the war is over, God looks at us and we are justified. That means we are declared innocent just as if we'd never sinned at all. Justified. That's what exactly it says in uh, Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, we have peace with God. In Christ, God no longer sees us as enemies, and we no longer see God as our enemy either. In Christ, we're no longer alienated from God, separated by, uh, from God. In Christ, we no longer live in fear of condemnation. We don't have to worry what happens when we die. We know that account has been settled. In Christ, we no longer have to live with the stain of guilt and shame because we've been declared innocent. The problem is some of us want to start arguing with the judge. I've used this illustration before. There is no one in their right mind that would go into a judge's courtroom, the judge look at them and say, you know what? You're innocent. Declared innocent of all charges, you may leave. There's no one in their right mind that's going to stand in front of that judge and argue saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, I ain't right, man. I want to go to jail. I want to go to the electric chair. But that's what a lot of us do. We have been declared innocent by God. The war is over. Now you have a choice. You can continue to live in the sin and the fear and the condemnation, or you can walk out of God's courtroom free. Free and clear. That's the choice. Some of us, I, I heard it, you know, Pet peeve, pet peeve time, pet peeve. 
Mark, I can't, and I, and I know you, it's a real feeling. I'm not dismissing the feeling, but I want you to understand it in its proper context. Mark, I can't forgive myself. So you're sitting in a higher court than God's sitting in? God, the supreme judge of the entire universe, looks at you and says, you're free, innocent. But yet, you think you sit in a higher court saying his ruling is incorrect. I can't forgive myself. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense at all. Why don't you go ahead and forgive yourself? Because God's forgiven you already. Let it go. Stop living in the guilt and the shame of the past because Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Stop living in condemnation when God has said there is no condemnation. You're free. And when Satan wants to accuse you of, of something that God has already forgiven you for, you know how the devil jumps on you? You remember what you did? You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let the peace of Christ umpire this call. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his son, has cleansed me from all sin. And when you're tempted to give up and run away from God, Rather than disappoint him again, how many times have you come to the altar and you said, God, I'm struggling with this attitude. I'm struggling with this behavior. God, forgive me. Forgive me again. Forgive me again. And we come to this altar time after time and we, and we think, God can't keep forgiving somebody like me. If I keep going back to it, he's never going to forgive me. So instead of coming back, we cut and run, don't we? We're tempted to cut and run because I don't want to disappoint God again. I don't want to disappoint God again, so why don't I just leave it alone? Because I'm, I'm never going to be different. <laughs> oh, let the peace of Christ umpire. Let him call this, these balls and strikes. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and he'll come close to you. Let, can I tell you something? Conviction is never a reason to run. Conviction of sin is a reason to draw close. Amen? That's where the peace of Christ rules and reigns. I don't care what the little voice in my ear is yammering. I don't care what other people are saying. I don't even care that my own heart is condemning me because my heart's deceptive above all things, and this is what God has said. That's when the peace of Christ rules and reigns. In your Let Christ make the calls. Let him umpire the game. Let him umpire your thought life. Let him umpire your emotions. Give the peace of Christ room to rule your heart and life. Is this making sense? I hope so. I hope you're with me because I've had too many conversations of people who were saved years ago that are still walking in the guilt and shame of what they were saved from. Guys, it's over. The war's done. Walk free. <laughs> I, I think about this. I need to go on. You see, the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ understood in its, in, in its proper place, and, and when the Gospels 
really understood. The peace of Christ will bring rest to a soul that's been so long at war with God. You know, we do spend year after year after year in rebellion against God. And it, it's just, sometimes those patterns are hard to break, aren't they? And the way we see God, sometimes that perspective is hard to change. And so if we've been at, 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 uh, at war with God for a long, long time, sometimes it's hard for us to, uh, to, to let the peace of Christ come and bring its rest to our soul. But this is what St. Augustine says. St. Augustine said it this way, You, God, have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I want you to remember it this way. If you know Jesus, you know peace. If, you, if there is no Jesus, there will be no peace. You, this is where it starts. It starts right here. It starts in letting Christ establish his reign and rule in your life as the Prince of Peace. It's his peace. And you've got to start by having peace with God in Christ Jesus. You're not going to have peace in, the, in any other part of your life until, until your heart finds its rest in God. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling and going around in circles. This is where it starts. See, some of you are trying to find peace with your family. You don't have peace with God yet. You're never going to have peace with your family until you have peace with God. You're never going to have peace with your circumstances until you know you have peace with God. It's just not going to happen. And so you're going to stay in a constant emotional turmoil, living in fear and anxiety. Listen, until you know you have peace with God and you're living in that peace that you have with God, letting all the fear, the condemnation go, believing with all your heart that God's for you, not against you any longer, that every circumstance is in his, in, in his control and he's good and he's loving until you see God for who he is, your good, good father who loves you deeply, you'll never be able to have peace and know what peace is in your circumstances or experience peace with other people. It just doesn't, you gotta have peace with God first. You got to. That's where it starts. That's the foundation for all the other kinds of peace that we're so desperately trying to get. Gosh, I hope I'm making sense here. If you find peace with God, the rest of it starts to come your way. If you understand that Christ has paid the full price for your sin, that you and God are, <laughs> are, in, are at living in a state of peace, that all the condemnation is gone, and with all that condemnation goes fear until you find peace with God. You'll never have peace at all. The second kind of peace I want to talk about today is, uh, or the second aspect of this peace of Christ is this, it guards your hearts in troubled times. And I know a lot of us are finding ourselves there today. We're going through situations and circumstances that are way beyond our control, and and uh, we're trying to find some kind of context in which to continue to live life without letting the uncertainty of that problem throw us off track. And, and I, so I want you to focus here. And it's going to be very brief. And then we're going to have, I think we're going to have a time of prayer. Guys, uh, elders, uh, pastors, any, anybody that knows really how to pray, we're going to have a time of prayer around the altar in just a minute. So I want you to know about that. If, you have a, if you're going through a problem right now, if you're, if you're struggling to find the peace of Christ because of the situation you're in, we're going to spend some time in prayer here, praying with you. We tend to think as human beings that peace means that there is an absence of a conflict or there is an absence of trouble. We tend to think that 
We're only going to be at peace because there's nothing going on around us that's going to cause us to lose peace. That's what we think, right? Now, if, if that were true, if that were true, that would be great. But my experience has been this. This is my experience. My experience is that if, if I'm ever in a period of peace like that where there's nothing bad going on, I'm assuming it's only because the devil and his minions are plotting something. You know? Come on. I don't have many periods of time in my life where there's not a problem I'm trying to deal with or a situation I find myself in where it's not, it, it, it might mean the sacrifice of, of my peace. I mean, it's just, that's just the life that we live here on planet Earth until we get to heaven where there is no sorrow, no problems. We're going to live a life that's filled with troubles. Matter of fact, that's exactly what John 16 says. He tells his disciples, in John 16, hey, I'm going to be arrested, and you guys are going to scatter everywhere, and there's going to be all kinds of bad stuff coming down the pike. And then he says in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. That's the one promise we don't, of God we don't like to quote very much. In this world, you will have trouble. I haven't heard anyone quoting that and then saying, Hallelujah. But that's a promise that comes from the lips of Jesus, just like the promise where he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? All right, so we're going to have trouble. And Jesus warns us about it. He warns us not to be caught by surprise when trouble comes our way. But what he does say here is that even though the situation may seem to be, say seem to be. Here's the, we're all about appearances, and we've got to get our minds off the appearances and think. Even though things seem to be out of control, they never are out of God's control. And that's the, you, you see, following Jesus isn't, doesn't guarantee a trouble-free life. Now, I know a lot of people love going to churches where they say, if you just come to Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, man, all your troubles go away. Well, that's a lie. We don't preach that here. We, <laughs> I want you to know, I want you to know that when you come to Jesus, sometimes your problems multiply. <laughs> Can I just get real with you? It's just that now you have a different way of seeing those problems. You're not alone in those problems anymore. You have the Son of God walking with you through these valleys and through these troubled times. And Jesus wants us to understand that in the midst of all these troubles, he's going to give you his peace. And it's his peace that transcends all these circumstances you find yourself in. How does Jesus do that? How does, he, how does his peace transcend all these circumstances? Well, the Bible makes it really clear. This is how he does it. He stays in control even when it seems like everything's out of control. He is sovereign over every circumstance. Would you say that with me? Jesus is sovereign over every circumstance. Jesus is sovereign over every circumstance. Romans 8.28 puts it this way to us. It's a familiar verse. He says, and we know that in all things, all things, all good and bad, all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That word there, that verse there lets us know that God never loses control. It may not be pleasant, but it's good. It may not, it may not bring a smile to our face, but it's still good. It may not make us want to shout hallelujah, but we ought to shout hallelujah anyway because God's going to prove himself in the midst of that problem. That, he's in control. He is sovereign over every situation. 
He is going to use these things that the devil would intend to harm. God is going to turn that around, and somehow, because he's sovereign, he's going to use that for our good and his glory. How he does it, I don't know. Every problem that comes your way, every situation you face, good or bad, these things all become tools in his hands that he uses for our good, for his glory. We may not understand it, we may not like it, but we can trust Jesus that he's up to something good in the midst of it. Now some of you have gotten some bad reports from doctors over the last couple of weeks. Come on, let's get real. Let's get real, because this is where the rubber meets the road, right here. Some of you have gotten some bad reports from doctors over the last couple of weeks. And it's rocked your world. I want you to understand, and I want you to hear it from my mouth. I stand here as a representative of God. I am your brother in Christ. I stand here as his spokesperson today to tell you this. He's in control. He's in control. The doctor's diagnosis isn't final. God's word is final. And no matter how it turns out, no matter, say it, no matter how it turns out. Say it, no matter how it turns out. Say it, no matter how it turns out. God is going to use this for your good and his glory. I don't know how. And there are lots of questions I can't answer as we walk with you through this trouble that you're in. I wish I could promise you that he is going to supernaturally reach his hand out and heal that loved one. And I will pray with you and believe God with you that that's what happens. Can I guarantee that that will happen? No. But what I do guarantee is this. God is going to take it and use it for your good and his glory, and you will ultimately take a look at this situation, and you will ultimately see the hand of God in it, and I promise you at some point you will be shouting hallelujah at what he has done. I hope you get this. That's where your peace comes from. That's where your peace comes from in knowing that God is sovereign. He's in control. I can do nothing about this situation. But he's got it in the palm of his hands. My whole world is in his hands. And I'm not going to slip from those hands. He's going to have his way in the end. And if I'll trust him, trust in his goodness, trust in his love, trust in his sovereignty... When I get to the end of the story and look back, I'll be shouting hallelujah. There, are, there will be no, I don't get it, in heaven. There won't be any looking back when you get to heaven, looking back and thinking, I still don't get it. What was all that about? You're going to look back on that situation, and then you're going to turn to Jesus 
who sits in his glory, and you're going to say, oh my God, you've just blown my mind. I love you, Jesus. I see what you were doing. I didn't see it then. Isn't it always funny how you can look back at the end of the story and it all makes sense? All the conflicts, all the problems, all the issues, all the struggles, when you look back, I get it now. We're just not there yet. You hear me? We're not there yet. But one day we will be. In the meantime, you trust in the sovereignty of God who says that in all things I will work for your good and my glory. I hope you get that. Because some of you are going to be rocked. I mean, some of you have been. Some of you are going to be rocked with some really tough news, and tough struggles and problems. But you put your hand in the hand of Jesus and let him walk you through it. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Keep walking it out. Okay, I'm sorry. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we get a diagnosis from the doctor and it rocks our world? What do we do when, when this business deal we've been counting on fails to go through? What do we do when your spouse shows up and says, I don't love you anymore? What do you do when your world gets rocked? It's real simple. Simple remedy. Simple remedy. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let it rock your, rock your world. Do you think that caught God by surprise? No. That doctor's report didn't catch God by surprise. That business deal didn't catch God by surprise. That, those hurtful, hateful words from your spouse, that didn't catch God. He knew those things were coming. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Pray. Pray. Focus your attention on God. Focus your affection on God. You walk with God. You stay steady. It's like being on a, we used to go up this got road, a mountain road that would take us to school high up in the mountain, 7,000 feet in elevation. This mountain road was back and forth and up and down. And if you weren't careful, you would get so nauseated you'd be thrown out the window. I remember sitting on a school bus trip one time. We were going up the mountain. I was sitting in the back of the bus, and of course the back of the bus is swinging around even worse than in the front, and, and there were exhaust fumes coming in, all the windows were down. I'd had some fresh coconut milk at the bottom of the mountain, and that coconut milk was sloshing around. And then someone about three uh, rows up, they threw up. Well, it was over. <laughs> Came through the window, hit me on the cheek. Let me tell you, the only remedy when you were on that bus going up that crooked, hilly mountain road was to get up in the front of the bus and fix your focus on something in the distance that was steady. See, our problem is, like the disciple, like Peter, we get off, we stop looking at Jesus and we start looking at the waves. We start sinking. What God has given us as a remedy in order to let the peace of Christ umpire our emotions is to fix your focus in these hard times on God. You'll eliminate a lot of emotional nausea, if you will. Does that make sense? 
Don't get your eyes on the waves. I, I, I was talking to Chris, and we're going to end. If, if you have a need this morning, we're about to open up the altar because we want to pray with you. I was talking to Chris and Laura this morning. They're going through some stuff, too, with their family. Just found out that Marlene, may I say? Marlene uh, has a preliminary do- diagnosis. Chris and Brian's mom has a preliminary diagnosis of leukemia. So they just got a, a, a tough word from the doctor that you know, kind of rocked their world a little bit. But I was talking with them this morning, and I can't help but think about the disciples who, at Jesus' command, got into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was worn out from ministering to the crowds of people that came to him looking for answers to their problems. And so Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, let's go across the sea. We've got to go to the other side. Now Jesus did everything at the command of the Father, right? Remember this? So it was the will of God for Jesus and his disciples to climb into this little boat and make their way across the sea to the other side. Well, as often happens on the Sea of Galilee, a storm brewed up, and it was tossing that boat around. And the disciples were fearing for their life. Where was Jesus? He was asleep. Now, a lot of preachers have used the disciples and have kind of castigated them because, first of all, they were afraid, but then they kind of used them and held them up as examples because they went and woke Jesus up and said, that's what we need to do. We need to wake God up and, so that he'll get involved in our problem. And I want to tell you, I think all those preachers are wrong. I don't think we ought to focus on the disciples and their response. I think we need to focus on Jesus and his response to that storm. You know why Jesus was able to sleep in the bottom of that boat? Because the Father had told him we're going across. And the Father wasn't caught by surprise when that storm hit. And Jesus was thinking to him, I'm sure, I think, I, I, well, I say I'm sure. I am certain, yeah, I am certain that Jesus was trusting in the sovereignty of God to get him across that stormy sea. Does that make sense? A lot of us are losing sleep over stuff we can't control, but we know the one who can and who is in control. I think we need to rest in the sovereignty of God. I think we need to trust that God's going to get us through. I think we need to stop worrying over stuff we can't control. If God has called you to it, they say, God will see you through it, that kind of thing. Pray, yes, absolutely pray. But let's focus on Jesus. Let's don't focus on the storm. Let's don't focus on the problem. Let's don't focus on the issue that we're facing. Let's don't focus on the conflict. Let's focus on the one who's in control. He's going to get you through. There's a whole other section. I'm going to post it on Facebook, and you guys, or not on Facebook, but the the notes anyway, about letting the peace of Christ affect our relationship with others. But I know, I just want to pray. I feel a heart to pray for folks today because your world has been rocked by news that's overwhelming, and I want you to know that you're not alone in this. God is in control of this situation. 
It didn't catch him by surprise, and he is so good and so loving and so kind. He is going to walk with you through this, and when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and you're going to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And we're going to pray for you as your brothers and sisters in Christ that you would experience the peace of Christ in this situation, that the peace that passes, surpasses all understanding will be yours in abundance throughout this difficult part of your journey. And we want to pray with you as well to assure you you're not alone. You're not alone. We are your brothers and we are your sisters and we will walk with you through this as well to do whatever we can do to comfort your heart. We are called. We are called to live in peace. We are called to live in peace. We are called to experience peace. We are called to enjoy peace. That's our inheritance. That's part of the victory that was won for us at the cross. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I'm going to ask uh, Bill and Steve and